We hear from many elementary school parents that writing is hard for their learner. Let's not waste any time today, Smarties, and let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 101 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Cap. We're in triple digits. We're in triple digits. <laughs> Steph, you and I were working on this podcast, and I don't have Facebook on my phone anymore. So the first time I had logged into Facebook for maybe 48 hours was this morning while we were setting up. And I saw that we had posted two years ago today our podcast announcement. So it wasn't even the launch date. It was just us announcing to our networks that we were doing this podcast. And here we are two years later recording 101. Yeah. Remember how nervous we were? Oh my God. The build up to announcing this podcast was, I think, worse than actually launching it. Oh yeah. It was very stressful. We were nervous and we didn't know what we were getting into. And now here we are. Not nervous about recording anymore. No. <laughs> it's just another thing that we do during our week. So we would have a lot of free time if we didn't have the podcast. That's true. I didn't feel like we had free time when we started this. So what do you think's different now, Corey? <laughs> <laughs> Corey's different. And it takes us a much shorter amount of time. And we have a system. Yeah. We know the process to produce an episode now. And so we don't necessarily have to do it all on Zoom or FaceTime together, even though we do. Like we could write episodes separately and collaborate that way. But I don't know. I'd miss seeing your face. Oh, agreed. Yeah. It's easy now, which is fun. Yeah. <laughs> so Steph, we are going to talk about why writing is hard for elementary learners. Oh, the myriad of reasons why. So mm -hmm. Steph, why is it so hard? So we've talked about this a lot on the podcast in general, but we've never had an episode that just is specifically targeted for these things. Elementary aged learners. Okay. Yeah. So this is why I thought, okay, we have to do an episode about this. So I don't know about you, but every time I talk to an elementary aged parent, mm -hmm. they tell me that writing is really hard for their learner. Yeah. Since it's such a big thing going on, we need to discuss the biggest and most important thing to know about it is that it's going to be the last thing right. for your learner to develop. Right. And the reason behind that, there's a myriad of reasons, and we'll go into some of them, but it requires a lot of executive functioning. And to be able to multitask and do all the things simultaneously is so hard. And it requires all the skills put together that they've been working on. And some of them are not at the same point, which is why everyone has to remember that every kid is running their own race. But just know that the parents that feel anxious, my kid is behind, the writing is behind. It's because it's the last thing to develop. We will link in our show notes other episodes where we've talked about why writing is the ultimate executive functioning task. So that you can go and kind of get a broader sense, because we're not going to dig too deep into the executive functioning of it today, other than what Steph just shared, because we've done so many other episodes about it. So we've linked those episodes for you in the show notes of this episode. So go back and be sure to listen. 
Another reason that writing is so hard for learners in elementary school is because there is an unrealistic expectation that writing should coalesce and be easy. Mm-hmm. And what it should look like, especially when there's an older child who was a seamless writer, because there are those kids that are just talented writers from the get-go, right? Mm-hmm. And then they have a younger sibling sometimes that it's not as intuitive for them. And the concern is profound and deep. And just because your child is struggling with writing in elementary school does not mean that they're going to be struggling all the way through. They just may not developmentally be at the same spot that another child in your family or their peer are, Mm -hmm. which is why Steph brought up everybody's running their own race. So just keep that in mind that it's a really difficult task for a lot of people and we don't Mm -hmm. want to make kids hate it by drilling. The other thing, just a picture. You have your little guy Mm -hmm. and that could be a girl or a boy. I just like to call them little guys or little dudes. Mm -hmm. And think about how far the information has to go from their brain all the way down their arm to their hand, to their fingers, to the pencil. Mm -hmm. That's far for them. Mm -hmm. So it's like the game telephone, right? Mm. In that process, things are going to leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're not going to remember what they were going to say or how they were going to say it or what the teacher was even asking them sometimes. So remember, that process can really be part of what they're struggling with. Mm-hmm. The integration of the mind and the body can be really challenging. Crossing the midline for some learners. Steph, can you talk a little bit about what crossing the midline means? So the crossing the midline is... Down the center of your entire body, if you think about the two sides of the brain, one controlling one side and one controlling the other side, and so it's like opposites. So when you cross the midline, it's giving the brain the opportunity to work together seamlessly. So what I mean by crossing the midline is, remember when you were younger and you had to take your elbow and put it to your opposite knee, like your elbow on your left arm and put it to your right knee, Mm -hmm. that's crossing the midline. If you notice, if you have your younger student do it, sometimes even the older kids, it's very difficult for them. And they start putting the same elbow to the same side knee. Mm -hmm. And then you know that they're having difficulty with crossing the midline and getting their brain to work seamlessly together, both sides and both sides of their body. So Sometimes doing something like that as an exercise before you start writing is a great tool. Love. We were going to dig more into what to do, but I love that we just talked about the mind-body and the integration of both. The other thing that we need to keep in mind about why writing is so difficult is because you have to be able to form ideas, hold on to sentence structure and the mechanics of writing and hold it in your memory before you can put it out onto the page. And then you have to hold it in your memory while you're trying to form letters and form thoughts and form sentences. And sometimes memory isn't the strongest on our learners. And again, memory is a part of the executive functioning that the brain does. And so that can be an added challenge. Yeah. And I want to add in that the things that they're needing to pay attention to simultaneously besides just their thought and what they're going to say. And responding to the prompt. Exactly. How to form letters, how to spell each word, the punctuation, where to put it on the page. Grammar. All the things 
at one time can be very overwhelming. And very often, you'll notice that your learner in particular, one thing suffers, will end up being harder and they won't do it every time. How often do we get a call from a parent who talks about their spelling or talks about like, my kid can write a full page, but it's one long run on sentence Yeah, because they're not paying attention to punctuation. These are all things that we address in educational therapy as we parse apart all the different parts of writing Mm -hmm. so that kids don't feel the burden of having to do everything simultaneously together. Yeah. And the last thing is a lot of kids have a really hard time answering personal questions. Yes. That might be, what's your favorite place to eat? I had a conversation with a parent last week where this was actually the prompt and it was very hard for the learner to come up with where he liked to eat. Yes. And so there's a couple ways you can take this. Obviously, if you can partner with your child's teacher, this is going to be great, especially right now since we're recording this during the coronavirus time and there's a little bit more leeway. So one of the books that we use, and it's typically a little bit for older kids, but it's called Unjournaling. And it has questions that are not personal questions. And so asking them about something that has no personal reflection can be very helpful with a lot of kids. The other thing that I suggest is if it needs to be a personal question or a question like, what's your favorite place to eat? An idea might be taking their favorite character. That might be Pokemon. That might be, you know, whomever. And asking your child, where would Pokemon's favorite place to eat be? Mm -hmm. They might be able to answer that really easily. And ultimately, the goal of the teacher is for them to just write. It's not really that your teacher needs to know what their favorite place to eat is. But if they're struggling with coming up with a place, you might start there. I have taken the liberty of adding unjournaling because it's a book that both you and I use quite a bit to the show notes of this episode. So if you're interested in exploring that book a little bit more, just explore the show notes and you'll see it there. Hi, Smarties. This is Rachel. And I just wanted to pop in here really quickly to remind you that we have started a Patreon account. And Patreon is a website that allows content creators like us to produce even more content behind a paywall. And so it could be a really easy, simple way that you support the work that we're doing here on the podcast and help us and allow us to continue creating this content for you. So all we're asking for is a small monthly donation of $5 a month, and we would be honored to become a part of your budgets in that way as you support the work that we do. So the link for Patreon is www.patreon.com slash Podcast, And we've also linked it in the show notes. And we'd be honored to have you be a part of that community. We're going to bring you some extra cool content there as well as a thank you. So back to the episode. So now that we've talked about why it's so hard... Let's talk about a few things that we can do to make it a little bit easier. The first thing is have a conversation with your learner about the topic so they can start forming their ideas. So often we hear from parents that say, my learner can talk for days about this, but then when they put it on the paper, it's one sentence. So if you start getting them excited about the idea, about what they could say, 
This will help them put together some thoughts and ideas. Also, we are huge fans of graphic organizers. Graphic organizers are visual aids that provide questions for learners to answer and provide structure. And they are free and in abundance on the internet. So all you have to search is graphic organizer and then for the type of question that you're being asked. Usually there's a free one that's going to pop up. Yeah. And if not, we're going to link a couple of graphic organizer books that we really like. If that's something that is too overwhelming because there's too many, Mm -hmm. we'll put that in the show notes. There you go. Another thing that parents can do to help is to write for them or type for them. And I think this is important to note that if you are typing for them, what I do, and I know Rachel does this too, is we don't do the punctuation Mm-mm. when you're typing, right? They can go back and they can work on, that's another skill of working on editing. But I literally type word for word what they're saying to me. Even if they go back and they were like, wait, we want to start over, I will type, wait, I want to start over. Yeah. Because it's not my job to capitalize I for I or assume that there's a period at the end of a sentence. Mm -hmm. So sometimes if learners aren't able to do that, I'll do it in note-taking style where I just write the main part of what they've said verbatim so they can kind of see. It depends what level and what skill they have at editing. Yeah. And it depends on how resistant they might be. If you have a really resistant learner, I wouldn't focus on that at the beginning. One of the things that I've done is that when I have typed for a student before, and they've been telling me their ideas and all of these things, they are so surprised when I show it to them or as they're watching me type. Sometimes they stand behind me and watch me do it. Mm -hmm. And they're so surprised with how much information they've given me. Oh, this is such a confidence boost for kids who are looking at the blank page and thinking, oh my goodness, how am I going to fill this page? Well, they have with their ideas, they have enough in their brain and it totally builds their confidence. It's that snowball effect that we always talk about. That initial win can be so tricky, but then as that snowball goes down the mountain and it gathers up speed and gathers more and more snow, suddenly we don't have the same sort of resistance. It's not to say that you do this once and suddenly your kid's going to be a super confident writer, but over time that will expand and that snowball will grow. Plus they'll love spending time with you working on that prompt. Oh, yeah. When I was a kid, I loved watching people type because I loved seeing their fingers dance around. It's the same (laughs) kind of pleasure I got out of watching people play piano. Love it. Oh, yeah. I like it. Okay. Another thing you can do is a brain dump. So we've talked a lot in the podcast about what a brain dump is, but it's essentially dumping everything that you can think about onto the page. So what we were just sharing about having the grown-up write or type it for them, some learners don't need that. Some learners are excellent typists and can do that sort of brain dump on their own. Now, here's the key part to a brain dump. You want to do it without judgment and you want them to do it without judgment of what they write. So what I do and what I've been doing lately is just giving them write on this topic, but you need to write for five minutes, even if it's nothing meaningful for the topic that we're trying to actually write about. Mm -hmm. We're just building that muscle of trying to write without judgment. I was texting with you last week about a client Mm -hmm. who's a senior who is so judgmental of his own writing and himself that it gets in the way. Yeah, the stream of consciousness writing can be very helpful to see where they're coming from and how they feel too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The next thing is that you can change the prompt to something that excites them. Now, you have to partner with the teacher 
Or if you're doing a schooling at home right now, maybe it's your prompt. But a lot of times with students, I pull out a bunch of prompts and we go over options and they get to choose between several. Whichever one excites them is what they're going to write about. And sometimes that makes all the difference, you guys. So for a learner that has difficulty answering personal questions, from my experience, just going back to that specific learner, from my experience, those are the kids who don't love a ton of choice. So some kids just want boundaries. And so be mindful of who your kid is. Are they a kid who can decide and differentiate from five different prompts? And if they can't, then give them three or give them two. I always say, as we're in the process of decorating this new home, that I am totally overwhelmed by all the choices out there. I kind of felt this way about house hunting as well. But all the choices of different tables and and all the different options that we can do overwhelms me. And so I end up doing nothing. But what I like is when people present me with, these are two to three choices. Here's why they're good. Pick which one you like. And I'm able to do that. So it just depends on what type of person you have sitting in front of you. Yeah, for sure. It makes a huge difference. The next thing is if you have a learner that loves to draw, have them draw first. This is sort of like the thesis statement that we've talked about before on the podcast, right? Mm -hmm. You don't know your thesis until you start writing. So sometimes kids don't know the story until they draw the picture. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Again, without judgment. Yeah. Right? Start with one sentence. So this is the idea that you don't have to start with the end in mind and just getting one sentence on the page can be the win. Yeah. And that can be enough for the prompt. It's one sentence. Sometimes the prompt easily lends itself to that first question. So if you have an elementary age learner that is being asked a very direct question, learning how to use the question to start your answer Sometimes that's all it takes for some kids and no one's ever showed them that. And I know we're talking about some simple things, but it's because we're back to the basics on this episode. Yeah. And remind them if that was the next thing we were going to talk about, if there was a sentence quota that used the prompt. So I often do it just verbally with kids because sometimes they don't know exactly what I'm talking about. So if I said, Rachel, how are you today? Or Rachel, what's your favorite color? Rachel would answer, my favorite color is yellow. (laughs) Yes, her favorite color is yellow. But right there, you already have a sentence. They already wrote the sentence for you. You just have to pop in a word. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they go, oh, that's not that hard. So there's one sentence down already. Mm -hmm. The last thing is practicing responding to more prompts with fewer sentences required. What I mean by this is you literally might ask them, Rachel, what's your favorite color? Rachel, what did you have for dinner last night? Those kinds of things and you're doing it more often, the kids that are really reluctant to start, they're going to start building up the muscle that, oh, I can answer that prompt in a sentence or in two sentences and do more of them. Because if the stopgap is, I don't know where to start and how to start, it's practicing the starting. And once the muscle builds, they'll be able to start adding. And one of the things that you can also do is you can always go back to a prompt and have them write another sentence later on. It doesn't have to be in that moment. So Smarties, we hope that this episode has been meaningful for you. If you are struggling with a learner who does not love writing yet, doesn't mean they won't. It's just not there yet. We hope that this episode provided some context and some strategies that 
can impact your family and the work that you are doing with the learners in your life. And remember, only one strategy at a time. Absolutely. Have a great week, Smarties. Have a great week.